Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I've always had big dreams of being a superstar. Fat Joe always comes out swinging. I'm like, was Bruce Willis just doing a back? Like, wow. I come from nothing where you got to be tough to survive. On my side here, I got Fat Joe. Latinos across the country and across the world love the authenticity of what Joe brought to hip hop. The Latinos will be like, he's not Rico Suave. He's the guy with the half moon, with the medallion on, with 50 guys behind him. And I knew it was just going to shake the hip hop world. Joe's personality and confidence built this monster image. It was about that time that I discovered Big Pun. I brought him in the game. He took us to the next level. We was doing arenas, making money, getting nominated for Grammys. I was the Puerto Rican Puff Daddy. And Pun was the Latino Biggie. They were asking me to sign any Latino that rap because they thought it was like the time of all Latinos selling millions of records. It was a dream come true. And then everything started to go bad. Pun, my grandfather and my sister all died around the same time. I went to a really, really dark place. He was just fucked up. And then I had to go to jail, man. How the hell am I gonna come back? And I've discovered that your darkest moments bring your most clarity. I always believed in myself, and my dreams came true. It's really like a hip-hop fairy tale. Rising from nothing, man, to triumph. Let's go. Behind the music. This is my true home. It's where I was born, in the Bronx. The Bronx created hip-hop. It's the ground zero, it's the birthplace, and I was just brought up in the holy land of hip-hop music. My brother Angel used to be a crate boy for Grandmaster Flash, going to the block parties, carrying Grandmaster Flash's records. And so he would bring me all these real original records, the Zulu Nation, all these DJ battles. That's how light went off in my head, like so in love with hip-hop. I aspire to be like these guys. That's the original origins of hip hop. And that's what got me so addicted to music. Uh, there would not be no Fat Joe if it wasn't for this. I always wanted to be like my brother Angel. He started rapping before me, so I started writing raps. To telling everybody my raps, so that's how it came about. And so I'm proud, most of all, to be from the Bronx. And you know, the projects, we never knew what we didn't have. When I was a kid, my family worked very, very hard. My mother already had three children, two sons and a daughter with a prior husband. 
And so she met my father. My father was a baker from Cuba. My father's real tough, real hard. I mean, not a bad person at all, but we bump heads a lot, even now to this day. My mom's had three jobs. Never made an excuse. We always had Christmas. We obviously ate a lot. It was a big loving family environment. My projects growing up at the time, 90% black, 10% Latino. That's being generous, you know, and that's all I knew. They've been calling me Fat Joey since I'm two, three years old in my projects. I've always been big. I've always owned up to it. That's why my name is Fat Joe. But I got bullied in school. I had to go to junior high school in my grandmother's neighborhood, which might as well be 99.9% .9 black. They have never seen a Puerto Rican or Latino like Fat Joe in that neighborhood in their life. I was the Eminem, the alien over there. Every single day I got beat up by 30 guys. Never been a sucker, I never laid down. Every day I look out the window of the school and I know 30 dudes are waiting for me. I drop my bag and punch the biggest dude right in his face and just get beat up. I don't lay down. You go back and you look at pictures of me, 12 years old, 11 years old, with an ice-cold killer face. That's because if you showed somebody kindness, they would definitely take it for weakness. And the uh, whole Bronx at that time was predator or prey. I refused to be prey. At the time I met Joe, he was this angry, you know, frustrated, you know, young man. We had something in common. We loved trouble. We loved the smoke. Wait. Everybody, anybody, wherever, we just didn't care. Then as you got a little bit older, knives came out, the guns came out. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I would go outside every day for violence. Unfortunately, I got into a life of crime before music. My father was very aggressive. He would hit you and hit you like you're a man. And so one day, I had an argument with my father. We were at the dinner table. My father went to hit me and I stopped him, and his eyes opened up because it's the first time I didn't let him hit me. And from that point, you know, I knew, like, I couldn't be here no more. And I remember telling him, yo, you can't fuck with me no more. And, but I went to the staircase, and I just cried for like a whole hour, like a baby. I got up, I left my mother's home. And the next day, I was in the street. I sold drugs for the first time when I was 14. I started from the ground up. I would go to Manhattan, buy two grams. The grams was $20 a gram. I'd come back, cut it up, make $80 to $100. I would take that trip to Manhattan 10, 20 times a day, just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When I was there was when the Bronx looked like a war zone. I would live in this crackhead hotel where you could pay $35 a day. It was terrifying. Being a 14-year-old kid living in something like that, when I would open my door, there were literally men and women shooting heroin during the AIDS epidemic. And so to not hear what's going on out there, I would have this Walkman and just listen to hip hop all night. Rappers like Slick Rick to give me courage to make it through the night. I met Diamond D through writing graffiti. We used to go bombing together is what he called. And one day he stops me at this light pole and he says, yo, listen, man, you're gonna die. You're gonna die out here or go to jail forever. Diamond D was a big part in Joe's removal from the streets. He started giving him beats, told Joe your feelings, put them on paper. 
He said, why don't you tell your life in music? Diamond D told me, let me pay for the studio. And so we went in there and we cut three songs. I wanted to get on the radio. At the time, there wasn't hip hop music all over. There was one radio station playing it for two hours every Friday, and it was DJ Red Alert. So he was the king almighty. I was a DJ up in the Bronx at 98.7 KISS FM in New York City. Joe, along with Diamond D, brought me a promo song called Flow Joe, and his lyrics, his flow, his presentation made me a believer. Red Alert used to play it every week on the radio. To hear him on the radio, that was big. Like, that was really, really big in the hood. The hood was like, yo, Fat Joe, Fat Joe, Fat Joe, Fat Joe. Yeah, everybody Joe. knows Fat Joe's in town. Enough respect for the boogie down. People used to record it and then play it in cars, boombox. We had something to claim. Forget the, just the Bronx. We were kings of New York, you know? That was big. We didn't know how big it was going to get. Latinos across the country and across the world loved the authenticity of what Joe brought to hip hop. The Latinos would be like, he's not Rico Suave. He's the guy with the half moon, with the medallion on, with 50 guys behind him. And I knew it was just going to shake the hip hop world. The promo caught the attention of one of my compadres, Chris Lighty. I was on the block hustling, and Chris Lighty just pulled up, and he was like, yo, you know who I am? And I was like, yeah, I know you are, you baby Chris. And he was like, you Fat Joe, right? I was like, yeah. He said, I think you could be a star. I want to sign you. And, then, and my whole life changed from that moment. I signed a contract in the middle of the street. Chris, you know, when he wanted something, he always got it. Flow Joe turned out to be number one. I really did leave the drug game alone the second I got a record deal. After Flojo came out, Joe blew up because he painted a clear picture for you about his block in the Bronx. And he gave you that aggressiveness. So I was doing like three shows a night. I'd be in Staten Island, Jersey, Connecticut. You know, uh, Virginia, Baltimore, Philly. And eventually, Miami. We were coming down to Miami to do a promo show or something, and Friend of mine, he's like, I got some girlfriends down there. I'm like, yo, they pretty? He was like, oh, they the baddest chicks. And I was like, yo, so I got to meet them. He was like, bro, you're broke, you're fat. <laughs> we met in Miami, right outside Nikki's Beach. We pulled up, and the light of the van, she was walking away, shined on her ass. And it was the biggest ass I have ever seen. And I was like, what the fuck? is that. And then when she turned around, I was like, oh my God. My friend said to me, when he introduced us, Joe said, that's my wife. And my friend said, no way. She's ne she'll never be your wife. Look, I've been with Joe for 25 years. He was that guy. I thought he was really handsome, and I thought he was a little bit of an asshole. He was very street. He was rough around the edges. And he said, come back to the hotel and hang out. And I was like, all right, I'll come, I'll come. But I never showed up. And I just kept chasing her and chasing her. And uh, I had a show. I invite her, and when she comes to the show, I said, sit on stage. So I do the show, I'm trying to show I'm the man. And I remember leaving 
after the show, and one of his friends came up to him and he said, hey, let's hang out with all these girls, want to go back to the hotel and party and this and this and that. Raul's like, yo, I got the chicks, they want to hang out with you, but I'm with Lorena. And I said, you should go with them because I'm not going. She's like, you ain't getting none of this, you might as well go with them. So I look at the six girls and I look at her, and I look at the sister, oh, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't go with her. <laughs> he chose me, so, I, you know, I was happy. You know, that was a definitely something that made me feel um, very special because if I was him, I would have definitely went with the girls that were having the party. The rest is history. You meet someone and you just say, oh, this is going to be my wife. You know when you know, you know. Three months into the relationship, he was like, you should move in with me. And I said, okay. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment with no curtains and T-shirts as towels. We were broke, but we loved each other. In this business, the hardest thing to do is to have a successful relationship all these years later. My wife, Lorena, she supported me all the way. After some time, it was like pandemonium. It was like I couldn't walk down the street no more. You know, I was finally successful making all kind of money. Even though I lived in Jersey, on the water, I would be in the projects every day. And everybody knew Fat Joe would go to this bodega and hang out in front of it. Walking outside of a bodega and you bump into the phenom, Big Pun. I didn't know at the time, but he would eventually be one of the biggest rappers of all time. That moment, that store, it didn't just change me. It changed the world forever. Pun is out there rapping. And I was like, what is the fatter Puerto Rican kid gonna do? And then he was like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then he just, he's going like a car, 100 miles per hour, and he just blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. I knew nobody was better than him. You know, he was born to rap. He made sure we was everywhere Fat Joe was. You know, if he had to do a show, we was there. Whenever he was, you know, if he had to be in a club or a bar, we was there from from round from. And so when I heard him, I was like, that is it. This is going to be the Latino Biggie. Together, we formed the Terror Squad. The Terror Squad rap group consisted of guys I brought in the crew and guys Pun brought in the crew. So we crack one love, baby. You know the deal. Terror Squad click, boy. 96. Infinity. He told me, you're going to be my big brother I never had. I'm going to hold you down. You hold me down. You be my big brother. They were brothers. You know, they might have had different fathers, but there was nothing else. They were, they were brothers. And we just gelled together and formed this uh, dynamic duo. We called each other twins. So we hit it off real quick, you know, before you know, we was like best friends. I just knew that the world had to hear him. So I was like, let me focus all my energy on this guy, and he will take us to the promised land. So I took a back seat and just was pushing punt. You know, I was in the streets putting up posters myself. I'm handing out flyers, big pun, big pun. What he would do for pun was bigger than what he did for himself. Joe believed in pun, but I think he was totally okay putting pun front and center. I was the Puerto Rican Puff Daddy. You know, Puff Daddy discovered Notorious B.I.G. Fat Joe discovered Big Pun. He went double platinum. We signed a deal for $10 million with Atlantic. It was a dream come true to see him elevate, get nominated for Grammys. Yeah, I brought him in the game, but I had never been nominated for a Grammy. I had never been around these type of people. 
Pun looks so beautiful. He threw curls on his head, LA finger wave joints. And we was front and I had the sky blue suit on with the yellow pinstripe. It was nothing like that time, bro. To come from the Bronx, come from nothing, and be at the Grammys, it was like a Cinderella story. I mean, this was really a different level of success. They were asking me to sign any one of my cousins, any Latino that rap, because they thought it was like the time of all Latinos selling millions of records. And you know, I was at the forefront of that. But at the same time, I was Fat Joe the rapper too. So, uh, and went to work. Uh, Don Cartagena, you know that video is my favorite video I ever shot in my life. Of course, you seen Pun all in there. And then we had, Puff through the hook. Happiest time in my life. You guys are really the stars of the show this year. How does it feel? I mean, it feels great. I'm just happy. We're real happy today. Today's a great day. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody has some sort of addiction. I was really overweight. The first celebrity named sandwich of the millennium, the name of the Fat Joe. I'm extremely hungry right now. I wish we were uh, educated as we are now in food and nutrition, and we just ain't know no better. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good to me, yeah. Me and Pun is performing with Jennifer Lopez on Saturday Night Live this Saturday. We honored it's very big. You know, not too many rappers get to do that type of thing. J-Lo put out this 10-time platinum album. We got a huge hit with her. This song caught feeling so good. It had just opened so many doors for us to be on that SNL stage. So many eyes on us, so many people talking about us. Big Pun's scheduled high-profile appearance on Saturday Night Live had to be canceled. He didn't want to show up. I guess he didn't feel good. I was trying to push him to go perform. I kept bothering him the whole week, every day. Yo, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I know it bothered him that he didn't come. So I did it. You know, the show must still go on. He was telling me his legs was hurting him, so he couldn't do it. We were all worried about Pun's health. I don't think anybody who could have really been in Pun's presence didn't at some point feel some concern. I mean, the struggles with breathing, and we all knew it wasn't healthy. He, he said, nah, you go do it by yourself. And I know that must have hurt him because he knew how important it was as well. I guess these were the warning signs of what was to come. The next day, Pun had a heart attack. We got the phone call, and I remember just seeing Joe's face. Like, his whole vibe, his whole energy had just, like, come down. He was really hurt and destroyed, and he just, you know, it was, it was a bad day. It was a bad day. He's gone. I remember breaking down, and, um, and we flew to New York. I remember just going straight to Joe's house in the morning, the second we landed. And then we had to do a whole bunch of press, which was the worst thing. But they showing a lot of love. 
And you know, that was important to him because a lot of times we worked hard and we thought a lot of efforts he was doing was going unnoticed. But, you know, now I guess he knows, and I definitely know that he will be missed, he's loved, and, you know, he's acknowledged for everything he did in life. And then you, you have a sense of guilt. Like, was there anything we could have did to make sure he didn't pass away? So it was, it was, it was just a terrible time, man. Big Pun leaves behind a wife and three children, all under the age of 10. He didn't deserve to die 28 years old and leave his family, leave his kids. He meant so much to everybody, the whole community, at the time that it was just like unbelievable. When, when he died, it was just, it felt like, wow, it was like the world ended. It was, a, it, it was a hard time. Even the big, bad, fat Joe couldn't deal with it. He made me very proud. You know, and, and what he's done for me, I could never, you know, replace that. I mean, there's no question. Home was too young to go like that. Everything is just so overwhelming. After Pun passed, it was really hard on him. He lost, like, somebody that he loved and somebody that he really wanted so much for. Everything started to go bad. My grandfather and my sister all died around the same time. And it was just really, really painful. I was really, really tight with my sister growing up since we was kids. And so that's when depression and all that started to sink in because it was just so much pressure on me. He wasn't able to deal with all of that. He wasn't ready for it. I mean, nobody is. He, he was crushed. He was just fucked up. I gained a lot of weight, started drinking liquor, medicating myself, started losing grip of my friends, my artists. I remember whispers saying, like, there's no pun, there's no terror squad. You know, people just thought, you know, the whole terror squad identity would, would crumble. I think the combination of Joe and Pun was holding the terror squad together. And then they slowly started to fall apart. It's a down period and Pun died and everything is looking slow. Everybody jumped ship on me. I knew I needed help. I, I had never felt like this before. It was just too much, unbearable. The only thing that helped me is that I was going to therapy, and I would go every Tuesday. My wife, Lorena, took me to every single appointment, and no one else in the world knew I was getting therapy. So she would support me and take me, and you know, I put it through a lot. You know, I always say, let your darkest moments bring your most clarity. You know, I knew I had to fight this depression for my family, my wife, and my two sons. Joe's a great father. For him to be this amazing dad, he had to experience what he went through. We take care of each other in this family. It's just simple as that. The depression went on for two years. I just said to myself, yo, you gotta wake up. Stop feeling guilty. And at that moment, I snapped out of the depression. He was loving life and loving his music and loving, you know, to do what he does. And he was working in the studio again, focused on a new hit. He was back. Before Pun died, all I wanted to be was the street. And then when he passed away, I realized I had to take it from there and go to the next level. I met Irv Gotti and told him I wanted to make music for everybody, women, commercial, hit records. And he just woke me up one night. I'm laying next to my wife and got the house phone. And Joe, what's up? It's Irv. I was like, yo, what's up? Come down to Hit Factory. Went down there, it was 3, 4 in the morning. And Irv said, yo, I made this for you. 
and he pressed play, and I was like, holy wow. They gave me a hit. They made me a hit. Fat Joe has gone from being hip-hop's most infamous Puerto Rican to music's most popular big man. And it, all it took was a song called What's Love featuring Ashanti. I've been in this business nine years. It's finally my time to shine, you know what I mean? Right. So what's the difference with this album from your prior albums? Just, I was just way more focused, man. I, I had no choice. I felt like this album was like all or nothing. After Pun's death, you know, Cats was rumoring and it was people were sleeping on me and it was like, you think Joe could hold it down? So I had to lock myself in the grimy studio and just get all this frustration out and on this music and just make it happen, you know what I mean? There was a lot of moments where I knew he is blowing up like, we were on a tour bus and they said, you know, we want you to perform at MTV Spring Break. And I was like, wow, Joe, this is big. I was like, this is really big. And I was like, Mom, we got to do something to make people talk. We got to do something. And she was like, yo, man, you should go there topless. Take the shirt off. And he did. He fucking did. <laughs> she got him this, uh, I think it was like a Fendi red towel. I was like, that's the outfit? She was like, that's it. Oh, yeah, she was right. She's usually right. It explodes. It's a mainstream thing. Everybody was talking about Fat Joe and Joey Crack, the crack of his ass show, and they just fell in love with this big guy. It's great to be that confident and be a big man and be sexy and be fly and carry yourself the way he carried himself. He was always the flyest fat guy ever. <laughs> After that one performance, our sales went from 15,000 a week to 20,000 a week to 25,000 a week. I never forget, my phone rang and it was Irv Gotti. And he said, Joe, platinum. And I'm like, stop. And he go, platinum. It feels good. It feels like, you know, we having this little victory parade. And I don't know how radio's embracing me out of nowhere like that. But I mean, I guess, you know, that was my destiny. So now I'm gonna just continue to bring you hits. This is what I'm in it for, man. I'm not in it to be an underground rapper. I'm in it to be a superstar, sell millions of records. It was a different audience. Time had went by. And you know, it wasn't Flojo's crowd. It was a whole new crowd. How was he gonna keep it going? There's millions of people trying to make music. A hit record is a miracle. But to keep doing it over and over again, that lets you know these guys ain't going nowhere. Then boom, here goes Lean Back. Lean Back is actually the only beat that I was afraid to rap on. Because I had so much success off of What's Love. You know, as an artist, you start thinking, that's your lane. You got to make songs for girls. And so I lived with it for like a month. And I remember I was driving on the West Side Highways. I pulled over, I played the beat, and started going. I was new to Terror Squad, and I was in the studio, and I'm like, play for me what they were doing yesterday. Like, dum, dum, dum. I'm like, what is this? And it's Joe with all three verses. I'm like, is he serious? Take that second verse out, turn on the mic, and I'm going in there and I'm recording. Next day, when everyone comes in, that song comes on, and he's like, hype. We like this, 10 deep. And then the second verse comes on, and he looks at me, and, goes, and I'm like, hi. I'm like, what the f? They totally erased my second verse and Remy forced them to record it. But when I heard it, I was like, wow, she killed that. It was just a huge record, like not just here, around the world. Every DJ was playing Lean Back. It just was over. <laughs> it was over. He always comes out swinging. At the MTV Awards, it was like Bruce Willis and Latifah and all these people was like, Lean Back. 
I'm like, was Bruce Willis just doing Lean Back like Mr. Die Hard himself? Lean Back was the return of Joe. It was an anthem, and when you heard it, you were like, Joe's back. That was a home run, man. We ran the game with this. Go to a nightclub and they would play just Lean Back for an hour straight, 50 times in a row. They just wouldn't get tired of it. It was a phenomenon. I will always be known as the guy who made Lean Back. Remy became a superstar with that song. Remy wanted to do a solo album, and I wanted to do a solo album with her. We get the deal done. She made an amazing album, but it didn't do what it should have done. I was dealing with the record label, and they kept telling me that they were going to blow up her album, but they didn't. I was mad about how many units of my album were shipped out. No one anywhere who wanted to buy my album, they couldn't find it because they didn't have it. Unfortunately, she thought it was because of me. And I'm like, you should have been here with me. If you was here, this wouldn't happen. No one's listening to me. And so she went at me and she was talking crazy. She was talking about, I don't mind signing to 50 Cent's G-Unit. You know, Remy's family, man, and I know her since she's a kid. And so that was the most painful form of betrayal I had ever felt. It was like an invisible lightning rod just piercing through my heart. You know, she's a very emotional person, and Joe really tried to do right by her. What is it that exactly went wrong? What was the, like, the, the final breaking First point where you decided to go separate ways? She was always her own boss. When she started disrespecting me to public, and a lot of stuff is karma, man, you know? When you wild out and all that, that shit be coming right back, you know? So, I wish her well. Three years later, she got arrested, and you know, I've been dealing with crime my whole life. So I knew what she had to do to get less time, and, and nobody was advising her the right way. I was in prison. We didn't speak for years. And during that time, like I used to be so devastated because I missed my brother. I was sad, even though I was trying to act like, you know, it is what it is. But it was like really, really sad for her. But I've always been on goal time, no matter what, and fighting for what we we are or what we represent. And so I, I keep going and I keep pushing forward. At the time, we built the new house. It's beautiful. We in Miami with the whole family. My mother, my wife, my daughter, my two sons, we were all together. It was an amazing time. And I had a hit. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. One day I went to buy a car and they were like, you haven't paid for your mortgages, you haven't paid your cars. I'm like, what? I had an accountant, I hired him. I'm sending them wire transfers to pay my taxes. The man ain't paying my taxes, I didn't know. We step to the government and we tell them, look, this guy was taking advantage of me. I actually went to court and paid the money back, thinking that maybe because I don't have no previous criminal history, I'll get house arrest or get probation, which they give to people every day. And so they said, sorry, you have to go to jail. That was a horrible day. I got up, my mother-in-law made me breakfast and she was crying the whole time. Lorena was in the, in the living room just crying, 
like crazy. And, you know, I kissed her on the forehead. I said, Mom, stop. You can't be doing this. The actual day of, me, Joe's son, took the drive with him to drop him off. You could hear a pin drop. I've done many crimes. I've done many things in my life. I was not guilty of this. Like, you know, so I got my, uh, I guess I got what was coming to me. We get to in front of the prison. We all get out, you know, we hug him. Boss going to jail, like, this shit crazy. When I was walking into the jail, I look back at the truck, and uh, maybe I shouldn't have had brought my son there, you know? He looked so devastated watching his father walk in there, you know, uh, and that hurt. That really, really hurt. Jail gave me a lot of time to strategize, go over my priorities, and get really, really serious about life. You know what's sad for me, man? I was making money since I was 22. I had been rich for the last 15, 16 years. Private planes, mansions, diamonds, whatever you name it, cars, whatever we wanted, we had. When I got out of jail, I had to start completely over. The hardest thing was that they basically had absorbed 90% of my money, millions and millions of dollars. And so I would get up and I would look at my daughter sleep at night and that hurt me the most because I would be like, she doesn't deserve to live a broke life. She deserves a better life. Now you have to figure out a way to make your money back. To make a hit record one time is a miracle. To do it over and over and over again is even harder. And I was, I was a 40-year-old rapper. Nobody had ever done that. I pulled up to his crib. It's a huge crib he had. You know, I knocked on the door and his wife, Lloyd, opened the door. She's like, get in here and talk to this man. He's tripping. And I can remember sitting down with him and he was just like, it's over for me, man. Rap, it's a young man's game. You know what I'm saying? It's over. And I never seen Joe like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I had just turned 40 years old. They took away all my money. How the hell am I going to come back? And I can remember just looking at him and telling him, nah, 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 nah. Tina Turner made a hit record at 50 years old. So uh, went to work back in the studio, ready, ready to do what I had to do. Joe felt like, I need something to get back uh, on fire. At the same time, you know, Remy, she was trying to get her thing going. I'm in prison, and I've been there for about four years, going on five. And I'm just like, I need to speak to him. And I had to go through so much. I had to put the number on my phone list, all this stuff. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to call him. It was at that point where I didn't even care who was right or who was wrong. I was like, I'm saying sorry. I'm going to apologize. She called me out of nowhere. She's just like, yo. And I'm like, yo. And then there's an awkward silence for like a minute. And then she was like, well, talk. I was like, well, Remy, you call me. Like, what do you want? <laughs> and he's like, Rem, what do you want to say? And I'm just like, all right. I'm sorry. I love you and I miss you. And it was just a love fest. It took one second. So when Remy got out of jail, we met in Miami, and I had a big plan. This was like the first time that I had saw Fat Joe in seven years. He's like, you ready to get back in the big leagues now? Like, you know, I have this idea. And I'm like, oh, OK, what's your idea? He's like, just me and you. What? I said, yo, Remy, there's a chance that if we work together and we make a song, it's like a thread going through a needle. He says, people like Fat Joe and people like Remy Ma, but 
People love Fat Joe and Remy Ma together. If we hit it on there, it might explode and be the biggest record in the world. After the reconciliation, Fat Joe and Remy Martin, they're all the way up. I remember going shopping with Remy for this video. Joe wanted my wardrobe to be crazy, but we didn't have a budget. She might have spent $15,000. She's like, yo, Joe, I don't spend money like this no more. I was like, fuck that. We need Chanel, we need uh, Louis Vuitton, we need the first. She's like, Grandma, I promise you, you're gonna get it back. Times 100, trust me. I said, you know what, Ram? If we don't make money back with this song, I'll give you the money back for the clothes. But buy the clothes. Not only was All The Way Up big for Joe and the squad, but it was big for hip hop and for the culture. The comeback was real for Fat Joe. We just kept winning awards. The BET Hip Hop Award goes to All The Way Up for Fat Joe Remy Ma. We getting that money. We getting that money. I could have thought of a lot of better things to say than we getting that money. But I guess it was built in that they had took all my money. That that was the first thing I thought of saying up there was we getting that money, boy. Like, if y'all thought I was going to be broke, you are very confused, right? There's nothing like having something and having taken away from you and for you to come back. It was just like on top of the world again. He always says, I'm gonna get a number one. And he does, he fucking works hard and he fucking makes it happen. To this day, I fight for my family's future. I wanna leave and leave my kids, you know, all set up. I needed the music to blow up on another level so I could do the business. The only way to succeed in life is through empowering yourself. It's all about being an entrepreneur. I want my Wikipedia to start off by saying, Joseph Antonio Cartagena, American businessman. You know, there's so much more uh, than being a gangster rapper. We have a great brand that we're all proud of. Fat Joe started opening up sneaker stores in the city, and he created what we call the Up NYC Sneaker Initiative to reward kids with sneakers from impoverished neighborhoods that do good in school. When I opened the store, it was to give back to the people. Philanthropy is as big as in my heart. I've always given back. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. Who'd have thought back in the days, my, we would live good like this, huh? Started with nothing, huh? Damn, man, I'm so blessed, man. Let's do a toast. Thank God that we're here and we're eating. And pray for everybody. Wow. You know, I'm very lucky to have them. My wife, Rich, my daughter, little Joey, he's the Don. He always sits at the top of the table. He's autistic, but he realizes that he plays a powerful role in this family. I'm proud of him. I love him. I feel like all my blessings come from him. I think having a child with special needs is something that he always tried to protect, but now he's definitely um, comfortable. My kids, they are living a tremendously different childhood than me, and thank God, man, that's what we all want for our kids. I love everybody here and everybody at this table. It's very, very important to me in my life, and I'm just happy that I still have my mother and father here with me. When my mother went through cancer, my father never left her. He stood by her side. A lot of people, they run away, and so I've been blessed to have my parents. So I try to enjoy every second I can with them. He's in a happy place right now. 
where he's able to express and he doesn't give a fuck. He just knows that he loves and he wants to show love back. You know, he's a positive guy and he's given out that positive energy and he, he's, he's the sunshine. Wow, I, I have some very good friends. This was like the first song I ever made in my life based on positivity and uplifting the people. I'm gonna cheer him up. We're gonna have fun. It's just the growth of Joe. It's like, he's lighter. My brother Joe Crack, still knocking him out the park at 50 years old. Joe has found a sense of balance. I think he found a sense of peace. A lot of people record Joe the elder statesman in hip hop because you think about it, when he came out, what, in early 90s, and now we're in 2021, he had a vision. After putting in so much pain, after coming from where we come from, beating the odds a gazillion times, he deserves to be happy. I think what Joe did and what he gave to the music business, to people, marginalized people from tough neighborhoods, hope. You understood that he came from nothing and turned it into something, and that's what Joe gave to people. It's really nice to see the evolution of where he started to where he is now. It's really like a hip-hop fairy tale. Moral to the story is courage. I have been through everything you could think of. I was in the streets in jail. You know, we lost family, friends, and been tested to where I had to step up. I always say, let your darkest moments bring your most clarity. Listen to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music only on Paramount+. Plus. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.